on this week's episode, the ever-evolving world of Scooby-Doo. Is it time to dress up for Rob McCallum? And 40 years of Pac-Man and the Empire Strikes Back. All this and more as we once again delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, The Lakers Fast Break, and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. Well, Josh has taken a week off. He's going to take care of some things behind the scenes here at Pop Culture Cosmos. I have some great interviews lined up. First up, we've got Rob McCallum from Zero Cool Films talking all of his current projects, including Box Heart the docuseries, action figure adventure, and his latest documentary in production based on the children's television series in Canada, Mr. Dress Up. He's going to get you up to speed on who exactly was Mr. Dress Up and why he was so important, even to this day, to our friends in Canada. Plus, Noah Ian Fine is back to talk how Scoob, much to his chagrin, could be ushering a rebirth of the Hanna-Barbera universe. And Ben Arnaud from Smoking Hot Confessions is back to reminisce with me on the 40th birthday that happened recently for Pac-Man and Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. But first, let's get into it as we catch up with the always busy Rob McCallum from Zero Cool Films. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos. Cannot thank everyone enough for listening to all of our great shows. And I'll tell you what, he must have heard me talking about him on our previous program. But he's back again. He is the world famous director. Well, at least I hope he's world famous. He's got not one, not two, but three great projects on the way. Well, at least the ones that I know of. I'm probably losing track here. But that would include Box Art, the docuseries, also as well Action Figure Adventure, and a new one, which I was just made aware of not too long ago, that is getting more widespread notoriety, more interest for altogether different reasons. And that is the Mr. Dress Up documentary. And it is the document himself that I know, my good friend, Mr. Rob McCallum. What's up, man? I'm worried about what you've said in previous episodes to conjure me at this point. Usually, it's like the Beetlejuice effect. You must have said my name three times, and now here I am. You've unleashed me for what is sure to be an arguable experience. It always is when you're here. But you know why I mentioned your name? It's because, well, you know why. You were, we and I were I talking know. about a social, social media earlier today. The Snyder Cut being released, which... Ah. You know, your opinions are different from mine on Justice League, and I basically said yeah, that. Yeah, it's show. awful. Yeah, you thought it was awful. I thought it was eh, and you know, you ripped me apart. Which is for... pretty much, if it's not great, if it's not yay, it's blah. Okay, well, I thought it was eh. You could say blah. I could say eh. I think I'm on day 82 of isolation. Everything right now is a little bit blah. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But you are being a good man, staying at home and all that. 
One of the things I wanted to ask you, of course, was about all about your documentary that's coming out, Mr. Dress Up Documentary. But before I do, that's the big prize right there for you because that's the one that's oh, gaining that's the most notoriety. Yes, a little tease. Okay. How's Box Art the docuseries doing? It's great. There, there, first of all, there's a lot of things going on. You've, you've dropped the URL, robmccallumfilms.com. And see, this is how long it's been since you and I have actually talked. Because if you were to go to robmccallumfilms.com, you would not find robmccallumfilms.com. You'd be redirected to another site, to another shingle that I'm housing everything under now, and that's part of Zero Cool Films, which is the brand that I'm building with Justin Schoenrock that houses some of the productions that we're talking about now. So everything is being kind of moved under one banner, so to speak, because I've got a first-look deal, as they say in the business, with uh, Zero Cool Films. So they will be, at least uh, in one capacity, the U.S. distribution part of, of my films and uh, television series that I'm creating and producing. So that's the first point. Now, to your actual question about video game box art, the stories behind the covers, the exciting docu-series that examines uh, video game cover art, there's lots going on. We have signed distribution papers for uh, a lot of cool things to happen, but I can't say who has taken on the licensing for it just yet. I know, I know, it's not my call. You're it's the ultimate me, tease, man. You're the ultimate tease, I'm telling you. It's not me. The company that did take it on has also took on Action Figure Adventure outside of Canada. And again, I can't say anything. All I can say is that these are good people from everything we can tell. We had a really great uh, in-person meeting with them. And they get the pop culture space very much. So we're excited to have not one, not two, but actually three projects with them because they've also taken the rights to the Kitty Concert Doc film that I made as well that shows the reunion. So again, Gerald, we haven't talked for a while, but lots of things are happening. They're brewing, baby. It's hot in here. Hey, so, I still run the ad for Kitty every now and then. So well, there, there you go. go. Every now and then it gets out there, which is on Tubi now, by the way, if people want to check it out for free. They can check out that documentary and see what's what in the world of Kitty and how that band came to be. Yeah, so Boxer is good. We're going to get a massive push and a lot more people are going to see us. So it's not available right now, depending on when you're listening to this awesome interview. If this is a legacy listen, it could be available. I would search out Video Game Boxer and see if you can find it. Well, you can find it today or more information about it at Zero Cool Films. Well, there's also Action Figure Adventure, which I know is something that... Yeah is near and dear to your heart as I'm looking right behind your yourself you seeing all that on the wall right there as far as the action figures are concerned. Yes, yeah. an action figure adventure does hail from Zero Cool as well, so this is definitely one of those properties. It's a bit of a spiritual successor to Nintendo Quest, as you know, and it features our mutually good collaborative friend, Mr. Jay Bartlett, who's on a quest to create the ultimate action figure auction all in the name of charity. So he's fronting the cash and then goes, you know, around the entire country and beyond to see what kind of cool action figures he can get to put into this charity auction. And I don't know if you caught our live stream yesterday, Gerald, but we just had big news about it. Because, of course, we were planning this big, you know, in-person uh, hubbub event to do with all these people. And we're going to give them paddles and we're going to have an auctioneer. But then this thing happened in the world that kind of discourages people from being close to one another. So we had to figure out alternative arrangements 
And so we decided that we're going to do this as a big online broadcast event akin to a sports draft or an award show where we'll have a host and a panel of uh, analysts breaking down every item that comes up with the auctions pre-timed and set up about a week before. And you basically get to join the live broadcast as the time ticks down on the 10 key items that Jay has sought out for this auction. And uh, you too can bid on them. And we'll obviously share some information with you and our listeners when we get it locked down a bit more. But August 13th, 8 p.m. 7 Central is the time to check it out on the East Coast and obviously do the math on the West Coast, 5 p.m. Some of these items could be yours. And then you get to have this and then you can watch the series and see the story behind the item itself. How great is that? That's awesome. And you get to, to me. be the next chapter. It could be the next chapter. How's he been doing, by the way? I see his videos all the time on the Jay Bartlett YouTube channel talking about a lot of different things, including, obviously, action figures and whatnot. So how's he been doing? How's he been taking in all this as compared to what he was dealing with with Nintendo Quest? Because Nintendo uh, Quest, you had the power tour, and you guys went around the country, and you, were, you were guys were going ahead and doing all that to promote the film. It's been different this time around. It's been very different. I mean, the, the first big thing is that we were able to enter into a pre-buy situation before we had finished cutting much of it. We basically finished our trailer in December and sold it to Super Channel, Jinx Esports TV up in Canada for the broadcast rights. And then, like I said, we uh, have already negotiated the, the rest of the world with another distributor, whom we can't name, but you'll be excited to hear when we can for that. And so we're finishing it up. It's, it's a completely different thing. We don't have to have as many boots to the ground, although we did have big plans to appear at certain cons that obviously have been shelved. And so we can't say too much about that because the plans are over now, but we did have plans to make some, you know, trips around. And of course we would have filmed those trips and shown some episodes and got some reaction and, you know, what we do, do, it's who we are. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? For the latest news and information, analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, once again, I'm talking to my good friend, Rob McCallum. You can check out a lot of what he's doing and a lot of what he's done at ZeroCoolFilms.com, which I just actually have right up here on one of my other tabs so it is something that you go ahead and check out today his entire listing of all of his great stuff that he has available at zerocoolfilms.com but obviously the main quite, it's, i should say it's not quite live yet well i'm looking it at it right now soon. seems kind of seems kind of live to me oh yeah well, that's interesting okay i see I'll like a, you know i see leonardo there it looks pretty good See, you know, see yeah. stuff like that, see films. Maybe the guys along. flipped the switch and I didn't know about it. Well, there you go. Yeah, I'll have to yeah. talk to them about that. Yeah, see, there's, there's stuff right there popping up. Missing Mom, the Kitty, docu-series, the Kitty Documentary, oh. Power of Grayskull. It's all right there. Says, well, I, I know the stuff more. is there. I'm just, just waiting for it. Oh, okay, there you go. Okay, yeah, hey, look, it's, there's, it's there's stuff happening. Oh. It's stuff yeah. happening indeed. It's right there for you. It says see Kitty what happens London, when you delve into the world of collaboration. People actually... Do the work. This is weird. This is weird indeed. I'm this telling is, you, this is looking uh, pretty good here. These guys have done a pretty good job. I like that. that. They have. Like that they have. Lot. It's really nice and slick looking. I think people should check it out at zerocoolfilms.com. 
But the main event for today is something that I have had yet to speak to you about, but I've been watching from afar, and I'm noticing that you are getting more interest on this project than any other, including Nintendo Quest, <laughs> including Missing Mom. And I was actually asking you over DM, and you you were telling me that you've gotten more interest in this project than you know, all your stuff combined, basically. So I want to hear your thoughts on exactly why the Mr. Dress-Up documentary is getting so much notoriety and acclaim. Well, I mean, you've got to know what Mr. Dress-Up is. Exactly. First of all. So. And, Enlighten uh, me. I'll, I will. I'm, I'm about to. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here I go. Okay. Uh, the enlightenment, the age of enlightenment has begun. Okay. Mr. Dressup is a uh, preschool kids program in Canada that aired from 1967 to 1996, and then an additional 10 years in reruns. He's essentially people kind of compare him to Mr. Rogers, but the Canadian version. Funny enough, they were best friends, and Mr. Dressup is the titular character portrayed by Ernie Coombs who studied under Fred Rogers and worked on Mr. Rogers' uh, Children's Corner show. And Mr. Rogers originally came to Canada to do a show just called Mr. Rogers, and then he eventually left and returned to Pittsburgh to do Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Um, so that's kind of where Ernie Coombs comes from. And because it was on for such a long time in Canada, it's kind of like as loved as hockey is in Canada. It's just a really big deal Everybody knows Mr. Dressup. It impacted more than five generations. Uh, and it's all about, you know, uh, imaginative play. So every the staple of every program would be a story that Mr. Dressup acts out and he would go into the tickle trunk, which was like a bottomless Mary Poppins-like idea where he would reach into the tickle trunk and pull out whatever costume was in there and then tell a story, whether it's Jack and the Beanstalk or Billy Goat's Gruff or any number of things. And so that would be the, the staple segment that would always close out the narrative. There, he was an excellent artist and illustrator, so you'd sometimes see him at the drawing board drawing things, and there'd be some games that he'd play while drawing a picture, or he would create crafts out of simple household objects. And sometimes he would just read a story. Uh, and he had some puppet companions as well, and of course I love puppetry. So the, you know, instantly hooked as a kid. Uh, I think what makes it work as a show is that it's the ultimate child fantasy. Uh, it's basically a loving parent spending, you know, uninterrupted time with a child, which is the puppet in this case. But the, and it's everything any child would ever want, whether it's now or then. It doesn't matter. Every kid just wants their, you know, their dad or their mom's uninterrupted attention, where you're playing with them on their level, and that's what that show represents. It's it's very mindful. It's thoughtful. It's kind. It's humble. It's humorous. It's silly. Um, but it's, you know, still respectful and, you know, for Canada, it is a massive deal. And so why is it going over like gangbusters? I mean, a lot of it is because Mr. Rogers has had so much attention in recent years between, you know, the two uh, films that came out, the documentary and the narrative. And so everybody in Canada instantly, because of the comparison said, well, where's the Mr. Dress Up documentary? And so like I've been doing as of late, we have been producing this and shooting this for the last year, kind of in secret. And so when the Tom Hanks film came out, everybody was like, oh, where's the Mr. Dress-Up thing? I was thinking, oh, my God, I want to say something so bad because everybody's going to go nuts. And sure enough, when we were able to announce it and kind of, you know, take the lid off the, the can of secrecy, everybody has been embracing it very, very, very well. I mean, 
to see how crazy people are going on Facebook is just mind blowing on its own, let alone what it's like talking to some of these people and interacting with some of these people. So it's going over really well. Well, when you go and let's say you're out on the streets in the U.S., and you were to talk to someone and describe to them the popularity of Mr. Dressup in Canada, because, uh, you know, as someone who grew up in Canada, he's obviously the icon that you know and you're familiar with from your childhood. How important was he to your culture? Oh, he's everything. He is the preschool show uh, for kids. I mean, there, there are a handful of others, and Sesame Street would be one of them, but Mr. Dressup it is the show. You go from Mr. Dress Up to Hockey Night in Canada. That's it. That's the only transition. That's all there is. That's Canada. Like that's how it is. It is everything. You know, from Mr. Dress Up to guys fighting with their, you know, in their jerseys, and then you know, checking into the boards and all that. That's kind of funny. Kind of funny the transition. But yes, uh, there's more to do in Canada than just Mr. Dress Up and hockey. Come on, man. Come there's on. maple syrup as well. Oh, come on. Your country is an awesome country, my friend. I'm ta- my wife has enjoyed her time there. Uh, you guys got a lot more going on than just those three things. Well, maybe. But you know what? <laughs> it's easy to stick to the three. Our international comrades understand the three, and we don't need to go beyond. The rest is our secret. Now, do you go into the background which you described already, you know, as far as learning? And, and I don't want to say an under. Would you say it classified as an understudy to Mr. Rogers early on, or would you yeah, describe yeah, it as something more? He, he, he came up literally as his assistant, you know, and, and a collaborator. So it was very much, uh, you know, uh, learning the same kind of things the direct address, the camera, the, the calm tone, the. the you know, treating kids as an individual. It, a, a lot of the same ideals uh, go through it. Whereas Mr. Rogers has a little bit more of a religious take, uh, Mr. Dressup does not. And where Mr. Rogers will discuss things going on in real life, like assassination or war or divorce, Mr. Dressup is much more about imaginative play. And it's so all about would... the world to make believe. And where Mr. Rogers, you go on the trolley and leave our world to go to King Friday and whatnot. The imagination is all around us with Mr. Dressup, whether it's the craft we're creating, the picture we're drawing, or the clothes we're putting on to dress up. So he wouldn't touch on those issues, because that, that's no, something that a lot of people are familiar of with from Mr. Rogers. Okay, so I, he was just, like you said, when you watch Mr. Dressup, you're just going into that world and learning about that and not going ahead and, and touching on a lot of real mo- modern-day components at that point in time. That's right. It's a lot of people described it as their safe place as a kid. You know, their their parents or other stuff in their life weren't so great, but for that half hour every morning, that was a safe place for for a kid to feel okay and let their guard down. So we we definitely go into like the early history where each of the key performers and creators came from, and what that was like, and how Mr. Dress Up was actually a spin-off show from a much bigger show called Butternut Square that featured four human characters with Mr. Dressup being one of them and then budget cuts reduced you know to half a set or half a studio space but just Mr. Dressup and just the puppets that were ported over from the bigger show but that first show Butternut Square that Dressup first appeared in was created at you know at the suggestion of Fred Rogers saying hey you know Ernie's going to stay here why not do a show around his town chief goals would be make sure that everybody remembers Mr. Dressup and what that show represented and the and the themes and ideals of it and to carry it forward. Well, I hope so, my friend. I wish you all the best with that. 
Once again, it's the Mr. Dress Up documentary coming soon from our friends at Zero Cool Films. And you can find out more at ZeroCoolFilms.com coming up soon, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you guess. I don't know. We're hoping that everything wraps up by the end of the year and that it's available shortly thereafter. Probably early next year for it to be available. I'm hoping so, my friend, because you know, that's something I want to be more educated about. And as a great representative of the show and a reminder to everyone out there how special it is to many Canadians, it's a great way to educate them around the world about Mr. Dressup and the kind of love that obviously he had for Canadians and the Canadians had for him. So it's just something that I, I think a lot of people will be interested to see because they're, you know, like myself, before you mentioned it, I was one of those individuals that had no idea about the show because I had been so sheltered with Mr. Rogers and Sesame street. Well, and both of those, you know, entities will play a heavy role in this too. So you'll have some touchstones and some points of view that you'll be able to relate to, you know, Sesame street coming out in 69, you know, everybody in America knew how what a big deal that was. But how was that ripple effect felt in Canada to shows like Mr. Dress Up? So we talk about that, of course. Well, all right, my friend. A lot is on your plate, as always. And I know that's the way you like it best. So. Well, it's the way that it is. That's the way that it is. Uh, so before you get back to all that legal paperwork that's right beside you right there, once again, best way to get a hold of you, anybody has any questions, wants to know more about what's going on with you, Zero Cool Films, Rob McCallum, and all that great stuff right there for you. So where can people find out more about what's going on in your world? Well, if you want to follow the progress of everything with our Mr. Dress Up documentary, just it's only really on Facebook right now because that's our target demographic, the, the Facebookers. So facebook.com slash Mr. Dress Up documentary. That isn't the title. It's a temp title. We've got a better title cooked up, but this is what we're leading with. So Facebook.com slash Mr. Dress Up Documentary. And if you're trying to get a hold of me, just search out Rob McCallum Films on Facebook. And I'm also on Twitter, at Rob McZob. No TikTok yet? You know, I thought about it, and then I said, I'm good. So, you know, that's the same thing I said, but I don't know. I may actually... uh lean in and think about doing some tiktok at some point in time not the I'll dance do TikTok. i'll do tiktok when you start carrying bricks up the stairs for me again it's cinder blocks i thought yeah whatever okay whatever <laughs> indeed once again it's my good friend rob mccallum you got to check out what he's doing today on facebook but also as well zerocoolfilms.com it looks pretty it looks you know pretty slick there my friend yeah, it's just really just some good stuff happening right there at Zero Cool Films. So I'm happy well, for thanks. you. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad we got to see it together. <laughs> exactly. Just right there for you. But it's just awesome to see what you're doing. And I appreciate the update so much. Any pop culture stuff you want to talk about before we head on out? Sure, sure. Where do you stand on all these films coming out for rental for like 20 bucks or 25 bucks or not the option to buy on the digital platforms because of the theatrical experience. Do you think we're going to have theaters in the future? Yeah, at some point in time, they're going to be reduced. Uh, I mean, obviously, this pandemic may speed up that process, but it looks like it's going to be something that's here to stay, despite what AMC and the theater chains that are trying to fight back against Universal for starting it in the first place with Trolls World Tour. It's something that we're going to go ahead and see. Scoob has been played very well. I mean, it's something that's been very popular. The Lovebirds. We got to say one. 
Yep. So you know, I mean, we, we bought Scoob. I mean, Scoob was twenty five bucks to buy or nineteen to rent. And look, I know we're going to watch it more than once, so I, I couldn't be pinned into the rental win, window. And the same thing would have, would have happened with Trolls if they would have opened it up for uh, for a purchase. Uh, it's just they're, we're learning more and more about how to utilize that marketplace, and it's going to become even more and more popular. I mean, we're, like I said, we're seeing the Lovebirds, and there's more and more mm-hmm. movies that were intended for theatrical release. They're just going to be heading to a digital format. I think it's just... I don't want to say it's going to be the like you know what the go. theater plans are right like in July starting with ten or whatever you want to call Chris Nolan's film yeah um, which they're, is they're awesome by the way they they want people six seats apart left and right and then nobody's going to be in front or behind something like twenty five percent capacity I think it uh, equates so, out to something like that but how do you do that with a family when you can only have a maximum of two or three chairs together. Yeah. You've got a family of four and you've got three chairs together. Where's that fourth person going to sit? Plus kids are eating popcorn with their hands and putting it on the, you know, the seats and stuff. It's just, it's not going to happen for families. And that four quadrant money that they get from these big tent poles that are that summer fuel revenue just is not going to be there this year. And it's going to change perceptions. And, and maybe people will relate it to like a, a pre Napster post Napster kind of conversion in the music side of things. It, we're not going back to the theatrical experience the way it was. It's going to be re, re, like reserved for the ultimate like Star Wars-like films or the Infinity War-like film experiences, and that's it. This but then is, again, I that's mean, going to be on less theaters. Yeah, exactly. So people are going to have to pay that premium to get it, and I think you're going to see the premium just trickle down. You'll you'll be able to go for the you know fifteen dollars a ticket or whatever it is to the theater. But if you want it at home, it'll probably be like a three to four week delay and you'll be spending instead of $20 when it used to come out or $14.99, you're going to be spending 25 to 30 bucks for that for that copy because the window is going to collapse. Yeah, that's something that I think we're going to be able to see pretty soon as well. Uh, so we're seeing a little bit of that already, but you're right. This time next year and the years beyond, I think this coronavirus is ultimately going to change the way we view films as a whole. I, I, I see it. I just don't think it's going to be ever the same once again. I just, I think it's the ultimate nail in the coffin. I mean, for the last 20 years, really since the dawn of HBO turn of the century, when TV started getting amazing and people really liked the long form storytelling serialized shows where we're just gobbling it up and, and binge television, you know, took it up a notch, you know, when Netflix really started to hit its stride in 2012 or so, like this just keeps furthering the need not to go to a theater and spend all that money on overpriced food or that experience with some guy talking behind you or their cell phone lit up in front of you. The content is at home already. I mean, I've already subscribed to Apple TV plus like that should tell you everything. Well, as you once said, and as you say on our promo, Apple could change the way we view our television and our films for that matter. So, yep, they could. Yes, yes. That's the promo always tells me when I play it. So, I, uh, you know, I'm sure it does. Yes, it, it did. It did create that paradigm shift, as I think the famous words that you said on that promo. So, oh, okay, uh, sure. Yeah, but uh, there's still a lot. What about HBO Max? Are you excited for HBO Max? It won't be available in Canada, so no. Oh, well, then there you go. <laughs> there's a 
There's a, they I keep mean, okay. shutting you it, up, man. What's up with that? It, it will be available in Canada, but it won't be the same access. So, like, in Canada, we don't have HBO now. It, all of HBO's uh, program has been carried over to Crave, which is, uh, like, a Bell Media conglomerate. So you subscribe to Crave for 100 bucks a year, and you get all the HBO stuff. Okay. That's... On top of, like, all their originals. Wow. That's, yeah. Uh, they just never give you the same love that they should. What's up with that? You know what? We're on the metric system, and we're paying for it every day. <laughs> okay, my friend. Well, I'll tell you what. It's just been great talking to you, as always. Once again, it's Rob McCallum, the director of the Mr. Dress-Up documentary, also Box Art, the docuseries. Don't forget the Kitty documentary and Action Figure Adventure. He's got so much that you can check out now at ZeroCoolFilms.com. Don't forget Missing Mom. You're still getting great reviews on that one as well. I'm still getting the reviews. Yes. People are still making their stories or they're telling you their, all their great thoughts I on haven't it. looked. I haven't yeah. looked. You know the first rule of the internet, right? Don't read the comments. There you go. Well, a lot of the comments that I see are still very awesome on that film as well. So Good. I'll tell you what. It's, it's just so great to hear from you, my friend. Any last thoughts on the way out? Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, indeed. It is Rob McCallum. you got to check out everything that he's doing today at ZeroCoolFilms.com or just type in Rob McCallum on Facebook and you'll be able to see all the different things that he's doing out there. In fact, he's doing some live videos every now and then as he gives you updates on all of his projects. So check it out today. Rob McCallum on Facebook. Can't say Rob McCallum Films anymore. Well, you can, but... You know, that's not where you go check out. I know. It's getting so confusing on how to find me. It's, I'm just trying to get away from people. It's becoming dated. I'm going to have to change all my ads. Yeah, we're going to have to get a Zero Cool ad for you somehow. Well, you did mention Zero Cool on one of them, so that's good. Oh, good. Yes, there you go. Well, Rob, it's just been great talking to you as always. Always love catching up with you, and I cannot thank you enough for being a part of the pop culture cosmos. Zero Cool Films presents... Action Figure Adventure. Super Collector Jay Bartlett hits the road once again in search of action figures, most iconic and noteworthy and rare figures, all in the name of creating the most ultimate action figure auction ever. He fronts the cash that charity benefits in the end. What will he get? How will he get it? And how well will he do? Find out November 1st, 2020. And we're back once again with Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here along with my good friend... Mr. Noah Ian Fine, he's back on the show once again. I can't get rid of him, or he can't get rid of me, either which way, because it's uh, so great to have him back on. If you want to check out what he's doing on his group, Hunnic Outcast, just go to Facebook and type in The Hunnic Outcast. You can check out what he's doing today there, all the great stuff. He does every now and then videos that goes ahead and talks about some of the great things that are going on in pop culture, plus also the appearances on other podcasts as well. But Noah, I appreciate you taking the time to speak to me once again as I pester you once again to be on the show. I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for that home VOD release of Scoop. Yeah, it's funny because I know you've talked about this and I've talked about this off air. It was interesting that because of the pandemic, a lot of movies, it was being, and this has actually been debated for about five years now, that people going to the movie theater the theater experience has changed. And once upon a time, it used to take maybe one, maybe two years for a film to show up on video. And now it goes from a year 
to six months to maybe two, three months. And then you can either purchase the digital copy or wait until it's out on DVD if that still exists, that you can rent it. And there's always been this debate on whether or not you want to purchase the movie that's in theaters now instead of pirating. And the whole idea was price. And five years ago, it was discussed, it was either going to be $25 to $50 to purchase the movie now on either Amazon or Voodoo, whatever, whatever was hip back then, which I'm going to go with Amazon. And to rent it, I think, was 24 hours to like two days. Now, with Scoob and Trolls, at least I know with Scoob, uh, the option was because of the virus, you can either A, purchase it for $25, or for $20, you could rent it for 48 hours. And unfortunately for me, $25, I still overpaid for it. And I understand it's equivalent to going to the IMAX or IMAX 3D and concessions, even with a family of six. But the problem comes down to I've watched Scooby-Doo for I mean, we're, we're coming – I guess this is the, technically the 50th anniversary, and I've watched a lot of Scooby-Doo. But I, I've seen it all. I've experienced it all. But, you know, this movie, when, when it was discussed that it was going to be either rebooted or remade or – whatever you want to call it, watching this trailer and, and seeing the car book, I didn't know where it was going to go. They, they kind of took hints from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadows where they decided to bring everything in from the cartoon series. Even Scooby-Doo, two monsters unleashed on that live action. They decided to bring all the ghosts from the original series live action. But here, I, they, they started out with pop name Scooby-Doo and then went into, I, you know, what are we up to now? Mystery Incorporated or um, Guess Who Scooby-Doo? I forget. I mean, there's, there, it, this, this is a show that's been reinvented and repackaged so many times. And, and there's one made specifically for you. I have a couple of my favorites. Do you have like a favorite Scooby-Doo series? Well, obviously the original, because it was uh, not only just because of the fact that it was created in the same year that I was born, but it's my first memories of the series and set the formula for the entire kids' mystery drama type deal. But it set up the whole scenario for how you play out a typical Scooby-Doo show. And those series, just so well done, so well documented, so well crafted at that point in time for late 1960s, early 1970s cartoons, to me was just so fascinating. A pup named Scooby-Doo is probably, to me, right after that, something that I thought was very well done. I know ABC had put a lot of money into that at that point in time when it came out. But other than that, there's been some some big hits and some big misses. Scrappy-Doo, I cannot stand. Uh, also, as well, The Kid, when they did the series with Scrappy-Doo and The Kid, uh, that was just just awful. Uh, I, the kid, yeah, with the with the dark hair. I, I just I don't. I, oh, yeah, the thirteen tried girls to... is Scooby Doo. Yeah, yeah, the thirteen uh, girls is Scooby Doo. Well, no, with the with the with the little kid, with the dark hair who wanted to beat everybody up as well. Uh, yeah, that got that that was just yeah, trying to block him out of my mind. Just it, it it replaced one irritating factor to another irritating factor. But yeah, I need need I digress? I'm just saying that Scooby-Doo has seen a hot, lot of highs and lows over the years. And like you said, a lot of recreations and reimaginings and, 
and things of that nature. And this is obviously with Scoop, this is what happening once again where they try to reinvent the wheel. I think it's actually pretty good. I kind of liked it. I'm not going to say it's great filmmaking by any stretch of the imagination. I'm going to say it's probably in their best interests to have gone straight to digital because I'm not sure how long it would have lasted in the theaters. Now, mind you, uh, as far as overall economics, they are still losing out. No matter how well they do on video on demand, no matter how well Trolls World Tour does on video on demand, they will still have lost out over what they would have earned going to the box office first on a worldwide basis had there been no pandemic and then going to video thereafter. But, you know, they're trying to make the best out of a bad situation. And we're seeing this now from movies like those two, plus also Irresistible is coming to, with that's a movie with Steve Carell, that's coming to video on demand. Lovebirds is just coming out on demand. I mean, that was also meant for the theaters. We're going to see this more and more take place. And Rob McCallum and I just talked about it as well, where the importance of the theaters is going to become less and less over the course of time as these movies are making the decision to either go to video on demand or hitch up with a streaming service. And that's something we're going to see more and more of in the coming weeks, months, and years. See, here's the thing, though. I kind of was hoping they would do this with Black Widow. On the other hand, as I said last year, I don't know how you're going to top Endgame. And lots of luck. I'm glad it's not me in Phase 4. I don't know where it's going to go. But it would have been nice to see that because it's – I know it was supposed to be out this month, and now May is coming and going. So I, I know everything. You know, you, you're pushing all these movies back because of the pandemic. There are some that I don't mind paying twenty five dollars for, and some you know, are kind of like, no, thank you. Fifteen to rent instead of twenty would have made a little bit more sense. I know they're going to lose money regardless, but you know what? Economic wise, you're right. Hiking the price of a movie ticket, and, and they're going to hike the price of movie tickets once we go back anyway. That's just the way it's going to be because they have to recoup for renting the auditorium, poor box office, the concession and everything else. Everything is going to go up because, you know, well, we're back, but all prices are going back up again, which is going to be insane. And I have to be honest, going to the movie theater, whether I go during the day or at night, it's been empty anyway. And it's amazing that I'm not going to lie. I see people theater hopping, but it, it, it's or or you know I, I still see you know the bootlegging, but it's one six half dozen of the other. The question is, did anybody really want to rush and see certain movies like Scoob? And whether or not this does because it's a kids movie or not, the problem that comes down to is that Warner Brothers, the way they were advertising this film, and I, I think this is one of the problems that I had with this is that Warner Brothers still feels that they can create a cinematic universe. And we were going to talk about this because Disney slash Marvel, and, and, and this is what I think one of the reasons why you called, called me on, because I did write a post about this on Facebook, that Disney slash Marvel got very lucky with creating a cinematic universe. I don't know how they did it. They almost gave up on Iron Man 2, but they persevered. And some and, and I really didn't get interested until Avengers. And then I really went back and I, and I got it because I only saw – the first Iron Man in theaters, I didn't see Hulk. I didn't even know Hulk was out, and I really didn't pay attention to Avengers. And then all of a sudden, I got back into it. But somehow, it persevered, and then, and then uh, Universal tried with their dark universe, and that didn't work because they figured, let's just cram in all these characters, create a dark universe, but there's no real plot. 
the the MCU kind of worked because you plucked the Avengers, or at least the first run of Avengers, and had to go against a comic book story that people were still familiar with, that were interested, that built up, that had uh, some sort of purpose and significance, and it paid off. But Scoob, as we discussed, it was about a bunch of teenage-solving, crime-fighting teenagers, and a talking dog that was based on a Frank Sinatra a song. As for other Hanna-Barbera creations during the 60s, you also had a bunch of crime-solving teenagers with either a talking dog or a talking car, which was Speed Buggy, or even a ghost of Funky Phantom and Captain Caveman. I mean, if anybody was going to reinvent it, Hanna-Barbera and Warner Brothers took over was doing that. And even, yeah, they, they did team up with Batman, but they were still solving crimes, and it, it but Scooby-Doo is the one that stuck. Scooby-Doo is the one that has stuck. Like we were talking about, it has been reinvented so many different times, but it has still been able to stay somewhat in the mainstream all these years. Well, yeah, because the characters are memorable. The, the only problem that I would say between Fred, Daphne, and Velma, until a pup named Scooby-Doo came along, I didn't care about them because it was kind of like the original Evil Dead. You cared about Ash maybe his girlfriend. He didn't care about the other three. And then when Evil Dead 2 came around, they just came down to Ash and his girlfriend and, you know, the rest. With Scooby-Doo, in the 80s, when, when they kept reinventing the series, it just came down to Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. They would bring Daphne back and put her in some sort of jumpsuit, uh, I, I guess because of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or whatever, because they made her look like April O'Neil and she was a reporter. But And then they would bring back uh, Fred and, and, and Velma, but they weren't the interesting characters. It was Scooby-Doo and Shaggy for reasons. They work, and I understand that they're going to make them important to that live-action movie that came out in 2002, and this movie. But the problem with, with Scoob is that I don't know what Scoob wants to be because Warner Brothers is still concerned about trying to build a universe, and they haven't done it, and they haven't done it right. They didn't do it with... Justice League. I don't know why they're doing it with their cartoon characters, but you just can't throw in a bunch of characters. I mean, you, you could with something like Hanna-Barbera's Laugh Olympics, because that was a take on the Olympics, and you had... The Wacky Races? The Wacky Races, yeah. Well, the Wacky Races, again, because you took a bunch of characters, some original, some that would later go into a spinoff and be a successful cartoon, like The Perils of will be Pit Stop. Or you would create a great villain, Dick Dastardly and Muttley, but with Laugh Olympics as well. You had the Scooby Doobies, which were the 1960s crime-fighting teenagers with the talking animals. You would have the Yogi Yahooies, which was the anamorphic animals, Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound. And then you have the Really Rottens, which weren't many Hanna-Barbera villains at the time, and they had some original ones, but that worked. But my final request would be, you really have to work on the voice cast because bringing A-list actors or Z-list actors in a reality stars, it's not working. I think when you bring in professional voice artists over the years like Billy West, Rob Paulson, Jim Cummings, Tress McNeil, Marlise LaMarche, April Winchill, Gray Griffin, I can go on and on. If you bring them in, then you have my interest and attention because they have been doing a lot of voices and they've been voiceovering cartoons for years. But if you're bringing in Hollywood and TV reality stars, the voice, one, you're just hearing their voice. 
Two, they're not used to voicing cartoon characters. They're just in the studio giving the voice. And you know what? I'm not feeling it. So if you're going to do it, hopefully this time, bring in people that have voiced in the past and really respect the characters. Once again, I'm speaking to Noah Ian Fine from the Hunnic Outcast. you got to go ahead and check out everything that he's doing today on Facebook at the Hunnic Outcast. As long as you don't bring back again Scrappy-Doo and Flim Flam. No, 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 no. No, no. So, I'm <laughs> sorry. It does not work for me. Those two never did and never will. But it is right now Scoob. That's available on video on demand. Whether you like it or don't like it, we'd love to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. No, it's always a pleasure having you on the program, voicing your opinions on everything going on in the realm of pop culture. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on your upcoming, again, 10 days, 10 box hours from video games that you know and love. You're always welcome back on the show, my friend. Just glad to have you aboard right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And, but any last thoughts on the whale? Yeah, no more Scrappy Doo, no more Flim Flam, and please, just no more Simon Cowell. Except no on was it America's Got Talent, your aces on that one, my friend. But it is, once again, Noah Ian Fine. Check out all that he's doing today at the Hunnic Outcast. Noah, it's been so great to have you part of the show. Jinkies! It'll be time for another mystery coming up very soon for Scooby-Doo as we go ahead and check out the latest that they're doing today right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Zoinks! If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. All right, thanks once again for everybody joining the show. Just appreciate everyone listening out there. I'll tell you what, to close out the Pop Culture Cosmos show this week, I wanted to go ahead and recognize something that I didn't have exactly enough time for on our Friday program. But that is something I do want to celebrate, and that's 40 years. 40 years of The Empire Strikes Back, and also 40 years of Pac-Man. My goodness, on the same day, no less. That just blows me away that both of those came out at the same time. One of which I actually remember that day, as far as The Empire Strikes Back is concerned. Pac-Man, I remember playing later, and I've got a little bit of that. But with me today... To finish out this program, talking some great memories on Empire Strikes Back and Pac-Man. And then also, he's going to be joining us on the Thursday program, talking some more about maybe a little bit of the Snyder Cut as well, and some great recipe ideas for Thursday, so hang on for that. He's a good man indeed. you got to check him out every single day, because there's always something new popping up on social media, on Facebook, at Smoking Hot Confessions. SmokingHotConfessions.com. He's got a new game show you can go ahead and check out. I mean, it's so interactive. I try to pop it on whenever I can and share it onto the Pop Culture Cosmos. He's doing so much, even in a time of pandemic. It's Ben Arnault. And Ben, always great to have you back on the program. Mate, thanks for having me. And thanks for that awesome introduction. That was really nice. (laughs) Uh, If I actually just listed off everything else, like the book, like the videos, 
like the awesome podcast, Smoking Hot Confessions, now available on podcast outlets everywhere. I might be here all day. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit of a night owl, and uh, my family are all early birds, so I get all this big chunk of time every night to myself, and uh, there are a lot worse things than I could do than, uh, than, than sit there and build a barbecue website. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not even mentioning the awesome stuff that you can get at SmokingHotConfessions.com, like all the T-shirts, the hats, the cups, the, the whole nine yards. Got, got beanies coming the other day, too. There you go, the beanies. I saw you wear one the other day when you were going ahead and hosting your game show, which is quite fun, quite amusing, and hopefully everybody will check it out. But enough of the plugging, my friend. Your awesome <laughs> stuff that you got. Your awesome experience. I remember when you just started off with a website. Now you're an experience known as Smoking on Confession. Yeah. But, but you and I are, are do have some fond memories, and you're someone that I really wanted to go ahead and ask because you've got such a great interest in Star Wars. As I do. And first thing I want to go ahead and say is the 40th anniversary of probably the best film in the series. And that's The Empire Strikes Back. It's so universally loved as the best of the bunch. Before I go into mine, what are your memories of Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back? Look, I, uh, I, I just turned 40 last year, so I, I um, didn't see it till a couple of years later. But I do remember Jedi as being one of the first films that I saw in the cinema. So around 83, I remember going and seeing that in terms of Empire. I remember watching it later on. And even as a kid, just watching the three movies and going, ooh, that one. That one's a good one. I like that one. And it's, it's really funny because um, I, I think I've spoken with you about this before. But when The Force Awakens was, was coming out, my wife and I are, are, are both Star Wars fans. And we really wanted to take our son to the cinema. To watch it but I mean he, he's only eight now so he was what, four then or something and so we had to sort of train him up on it and so for one afternoon every weekend for eight weeks beforehand we watched one movie in in sequential order starting with that we'll just call it that movie back in number one and then working all our way up to uh to Return of the Jedi and then into Force Awakens even him at four years old when he wanted to go back and, and watch them again, he just wanted to watch Empire on loop without us ever saying anything about, oh, yeah, no, this is the good one, that's the bad one. We, we, we didn't want to, uh, to, uh, to influence his, uh, his enjoyment of it too much. We just wanted to just let him experience it. And so even without that guidance, he, he still picks yeah, Empire. And his favourite scene is when Luke Skywalker flies the, uh, the, the A-wing around and around the walker and brings the walker down. Just tremendous scene. Yeah. Although, let me ask you this. I mean, when they're actually going and attacking it, what is Luke doing before he crashes it? His his gunner in the back is already down. And he's just escorting another one, which uh, eventually gets shot down itself. And he wasn't shooting back at the walkers. What is he doing? He's force melting the, the joints in the legs together. So they just sort of seize up and fall over. Fair enough, fair enough. But it, <laughs> it, it is such a tremendous movie. It's it's on my all-time list. Same. I have actually, since I am 51, I do have memories of it. Actually, 40 years to the day that I actually saw it on the first day, the first showing, uh, when, I, when I was 11, I did not know I was going to see it. And I had just seen on CBS about a year or so beforehand, to the best of my recollection, Star Wars. I had not seen it in the theaters. Uh, I would have been too small. My parents weren't really into it. But 
my sister's ex-husband at that point in time, he grabbed me at 3.30 in the morning. I almost thought it was a kidnapping per se, but uh, he said, come on, let's go. I said, go where? You know, I'm thinking, I'm a kid at that time. I said, uh, go where? We're going to go see Empire Strikes Back. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. So we get down there, <laughs> 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.30, whatnot. We're there in the line. And the line, I was probably about, we were probably about 30, 20, 25, 30th in line. That's no big deal. So we get there, we wait for the showing. It's like a, uh, like an early you know, morning showing, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. So we go see it. And I remember distinctly when I sat in the theater around the middle, full packed house, everybody there, full Star Wars heads, just going off, emotions, cheering, loving it. You know, everything's going good. And then the biggest surprise of all time ever in movie history yeah it, it, it will never be duplicated because in the age of social media and leaks and all these tabloids and all these entertainment magazines that want to get up on want get one up on each other it'll never happen again but to see the type of emotions not even avengers endgame with tony stark dying do you did you see anywhere near the emotions people were screaming no, no, Darth Vader cannot be Luke's dad. <laughs> People just crying and screaming and, and just no, no, no. People throwing stuff at the screen the whole nine yards. And we get out and it's finally, you know, it's done and over. We get out, you know, it's daylight, you know, again, you, you know, you adjust your eyes and whatnot. It's like just before, you know, I guess 11 or 12 or whatnot. And you, you come in, you get out of the theater and you, the theater itself, where it was as a chain of separated theaters in a mall parking lot area, and the theater closest to the street was where we were at, and that's the one that was showing it. And I get out, and we look, and the line, going from that, circling all the way down past all the row of major block theaters, and through the mall, was so extensive. It must have been at least two, three miles long. Oh Lord. wow. This was way back, way back when, when you, like you said, when you were a kid in 1983, where you don't have Fandango, where you don't have those things that in life preclude you from that, where even, you know, Betamax was, you know, still, a, you know, barely a thing. You know, you just, you, you, the only way you would go see a film was go to theaters or wait, possibly even if it went on to a CBS or an ABC if, for the Sunday night movie or whatnot. But yeah it was going to a theater and the theater then was just like you would wait the requisite one to three hours. And this was well beyond that. This was something that beat the expectations. It's one of those few times in life when you have some expectations and it exceeds it mm. and you have done, you know, experienced something and you've done this movies, television, whatever in life, video games, anything. And the sequel even beats whatever it is that enjoyment that you had on the first one well we would just wanted to wish empire just truly incredible 40 years and i'm looking for many more years to be recognized as the best that star wars has to offer uh it is that one of those few films in a trilogy that makes actually both parts one and three better and more cohesive after you watch number two, it just it not only builds upon everything that number one is, it's a great movie in its own right and helps set up number three even more. So, yeah, it just it does everything you wanted to do as a sequel. So, 
just a tremendous thing. Uh, happy 40th. Speaking of happy 40th, wanted to go ahead and mention something that came out also that day, but I didn't know at the time. I should have. Maybe it was at the arcade when I walked on by after seeing Empire Strikes Back. But that was Pac-Man. You just couldn't see the new machine through all the line of people that were trying to get into Star Wars. Exactly. And, and that was Pac-Man, <laughs> my friend. I want to talk about 40 years ago when Pac-Man debuted, and that changed the scope of how we view video games. Asteroids, yes, that was out. Pong, that was out. Space Invaders, I believe, was also around around that time. But it wasn't until Pac-Man, I really think that it came over an entire wave of people and not just hardcore gamers or not just arcade gamers at that point in time. I really think it, it just connected with a, it was such a large audience. For me, it, it wasn't something I really played a lot of at the arcades, but I sure played the heck out of it on the Atari 2600 when I got it at that point in time. It was uh, not a uh, arcade game for me, but uh, yeah, same thing. When, when my dad got me an Atari 2600, the Pac-Man game copped a flogging. It it really uh, it 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 really took a took took a beating that that poor old Pac-Man cartridge, but we were over in America last year and we were walking through Walmart um, on one of the last days we were there because it's so much cheaper to buy clothes and shoes and things over there than it is over here, so we're doing our our last minute shopping and to to go to go back to the house and pack our bags to go to the airport, and uh, and my son comes running over with this little it's a little mini arcade game I don't know if you've seen them they're like yep. about this big. So my, my son comes, comes running over with this little mini Pac-Man game. And he goes, Daddy, can I have this? Can I have this? And I said, what is it? And he goes, it's Pac-Man. I said, do you know Pac-Man? He goes, yeah, I know Pac-Man. Pac-Man's <laughs> awesome. And I thought, wow, okay. You've got Minecraft and Fortnite and Roblox and all these other games, which I still think are kind of old looking anyway. Well, not, not Fortnite, but Roblox and Minecraft. And he, he wants Pac-Man and he loves Pac-Man. And he sat there all the way back through three airports and 22 hours to get home, just sitting there playing on this little uh, little mini Pac-Man arcade thing. It's still a great time, Pac-Man at 40. Time goes by, my friend. It's just about this, how these things in our lives, just how they're enjoyable still even to this day, if they're truly remembered. I mean, Pac-Man really elevated the arcade experience to a different level altogether. You know, I know the Pac-Man Fever song and people were playing it like just the at the end stages of disco and things of that nature. But still, just it was so fascinating to look back and see the type of fervor that there was for Pac-Man and how it really reshaped what we could see about the arcade experience. I wonder how many kids lost all of their allowances just week after week after week just straight into those Pac-Man machines. <sighs> but that was the old days when you would just put the quarter up on the top of the ridge right there say i got next so that was cool yeah. those days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, i miss my days at the arcade and i'm sure so many others do as well i tell you what though my friend 40 years it goes by so fast but it is so enjoyable and i cannot thank you enough for sharing those thoughts with me thanks so much to ron mccallum noe and fine and ben arnaud for being on the show today Stay tuned for more of the Master Grill Artists from Smoking Hot Confessions on our Friday's PCC Multiverse, plus the latest news and trends in pop culture as we continue our countdown of the Pop Culture Cosmos Top 100 Films as well. So for Rob McCallum, Noe and Fine, and Ben Arnaud, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day of paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. 
and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Ha <laughs> ha